0: us in worship. I, uh, the, the last time Latreia led us was a few months back, uh, and uh, I hadn't seen Latreia since then. And then we just happened to be at the same event last Friday, right Latreia? And you were sitting right behind me. So sometimes God gives us a little, uh, little word that you're in the right place this Sunday morning. We're starting a new sermon series this morning. Um, we're talking about sharing Jesus. That's kind of our, our next sermon series. We're going to be looking at Matthew 13 together. Uh, Multiple sermons coming out of Matthew 13, and I think really our study of 1 John over the summer, that kind of spilled into the fall, was good preparation uh, for talking about sharing Jesus, that the mark of a Christian is love, and I think that's an extremely important part of our outreach, and I think Brian Crawford's message on truth. uh, What is the biggest question people have out there today, and particularly those who are younger, it's that question of truth. Well, what is truth? And that truth starts, it starts in a person, in the person of Jesus. And what he says, therefore, what he tells us is true. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew 13, and this whole chapter, almost this entire chapter, is all, all really the parables of Jesus. And this isn't all the parables, it tells other parables, he said a lot of parables, but all the parables in this, or most of the Middle East, are really drawn from the agricultural world. And I think that's fitting, we've got sort of our nice stage here behind us, uh, because this is sort of the fall, and this is, I think most people would say, the most beautiful time to be in New England. And uh, as we look at things like the parable of the sower, and the parable of the weeds, and the the parable of the mustard seed, and so forth, uh, what a wonderful picture we have around us of the leaves changing, and the harvest uh, coming in. But sharing Jesus is the responsibility of every Christian, Uh, not just from the pulpit, uh, but every Christian is called to get seed out there, to sow the word uh, widely and as far as possible and to as many people as possible so that people might hear and receive the word. Look with me at Matthew chapter 13. We're going to skip around a little bit. Uh, we're going to get to the whole chapter, but things are gonna, uh, some of it will be saved for next week. We're going to go one through nine, and then we're going to pick up again in Jesus' explanation of the parable in verse 18. Uh, it's nice that we get an explanation. Jesus doesn't give us an explanation of every one of his parables, but in this one, we get a very clear explanation. We read this That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of the Lord. Jesus explains to us here how our hearts receive the gospel. And one of the amazing things is, it's been 2,000 years, this is the very beginning, right? This is before the church was even fully established, the Christian church and it's incredible how insightful Jesus is and how hearts do actually receive or don't receive the word. We're going to look at verses 1 to 2. First, looking at the large crowds to the small groups. And then verses 3 through 7, or 3 through 9. Uh, a look at the, heart, the three hearts that don't receive the gospel and its explanation. A look at the three yields that do receive the gospel, verses 8 and 9. And finally, verse 23. So if you can kind of follow along in your bulletin, it might be helpful. We start off here with Jesus addressing the crowds. And large crowds came to hear Jesus. Very large crowds. We know at least at one point there were 5,000 men. They counted the men. And if you double that for the women and maybe some children there, you're looking at over 10,000 people at once listening to Jesus. He's gathered there and he's gathered beside the sea. Uh, The sea here refers to the Sea of Galilee. It's actually a large freshwater lake, but it's huge. Um, I kind of pictured it in my mind being kind of small, but then we went to Israel and saw it. It's a a good size, really good size lake. Jesus has crowds gather up against him. There's so many that he gets into a boat and he preaches from off of the shore in the small fishing boat to crowds that are gathered all up and down the beach, which is actually brilliant (laughs) because you can have a lot more people closer all up against the beach Um, and there is the uh, sort of the lake actually amplifies sound and allows him to preach to a larger amount of people. This huge crowd, so picture this in your mind, this huge crowd listening to everything that Jesus has to say as he tells them the parable of the sower. When we come to the explanation, he's now talking to just his group of disciples. So maybe 12 people, maybe a few extras who are in the mix. He deals with the large crowds. He deals with the small groups in a more deeper, more um, explanatory way. Both are part of how the word goes forward. Uh, large, there's nothing wrong with large crowds. <laughs> God, God wants the word to go out far and wide. Uh, he wants all the people to hear it. And we see that all the time uh, throughout church history. Uh, one of my historical heroes is George Whitfield. Uh, George Whitfield kind of started, at least in the modern era, he lived in the 1700s, started the idea of open-air preaching. Uh, It was a time in England where the church had gone pretty far away from the gospel. So he got kicked out of church after church after church and finally said, you know what, we're just going to preach in the streets. We're going to preach in Kingswood to the coal miners. And guess what happened? Tens of thousands of people would show up and hear him preach the gospel. He came to the United States on multiple trips. It's what we we call the Great Awakening. Um, And again, here in the United States, tens of thousands of people would gather to hear him preach in the open air, Uh, the largest gatherings in American history for that time. um, There was was no other even political event that gathered that amount of people, all to come hear the gospel. It actually drew the attention of Benjamin Franklin, who became a close friend of Whitfield. Ben Franklin never came to faith, never came to the same type of faith that uh, George Whitfield had. He was more of a, a deist in his, in his beliefs, um, but he, was, he loved Whitfield. was impressed by him. And remember, this is all before there was even any electricity, <laughs> before there were any microphones. I just thought it was interesting. This is what, what Ben Franklin wrote about uh, trying to understand how Whitfield could preach to so many people. He said he had a loud and clear voice. And articulated his words and sentences so perfectly that he might be heard and understood at a great distance. Especially as his auditories, however numerous, observed the most exact silence. I think that's probably what you had with Jesus as well. People were so interested in hearing what he had to say. You could hear even as 10,000 people gathered, complete silence. He preached one evening from the top of the courthouse steps, meaning Whitfield. Both streets were filled with his hearers to a considerable distance. Being among the hindmost in Market Street, I had the curiosity to learn how far he could be heard by retiring backwards down the street towards the river, and I found his voice distinct till I came near Front Street when some noise in that street obscured it. Imagining then a semicircle of which my distance would be the radius and that it were filled with auditors to, to each of whom I allowed two square feet. So here's Franklin kind of figuring out mathematically how many people. I computed that he might well be heard by more than 30,000 people. This reconciled me to the newspaper accounts of his having preached to 25,000 people in the fields. So if you ever hear somebody say, there's no way Jesus could have preached to tens of thousands of people without uh, a microphone, we actually have clear evidence that that happened even uh, in the 1700s. And again and again, we see the word going forth to large crowds. Billy Graham, we see auditoriums filled with people. Nothing wrong with that. We want the word to go out widely and far. But it goes beyond that. Then Jesus takes his disciples and gives them a deeper, more clear understanding of what he taught. And I think that's going to be true. Uh, whenever you're preaching or teaching or speaking to a large group of people, there will be some who say, I want to know more. <laughs> it doesn't end there. I want to know more. Please show me more clearly. What you're talking about, I want to understand this clearer, and that's what Jesus does when he explains it to his disciples. How does this? What does this matter to our church? Well, one, we want the word to go out far. We're going to talk about how people receive the word, but we want uh, the seed to be sown widely. And I would say that's true of our Sunday morning service. So, I just want to encourage you. We want anyone here and everyone here uh, just invite friends and neighbors to come. You don't have to believe in Jesus yet to come here. (laughs) We we want you. If you're someone saying, look, I just have some questions. I don't understand the Christian faith. I think I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm a Christian. Uh, I grew up as a Christian, and I I don't understand everything about it. Come. Come. Uh, We want Sunday morning to be the crowd. Anyone and everyone is welcome to come and to hear and to learn. But of course, as a church, we want to go beyond that. (laughs) We want to invite you to study the word more carefully and in a smaller group. And as I mentioned in the announcements next week, we are starting up again our community group ministry. Uh, it's just a structure that we put in place. Uh, you don't have to use this structure. You can get together on your own and study the Bible with other Christians. But it's a structure our church puts in place to say, now we're going to get together in a, in a smaller group of 10 people or whatever it may be and look at the word, and talk through it, and pray for one another, and look to its application in our own lives. And we want to do both. My friends, we want to get the word out there far. That's why we do Facebook Live. By the way, uh, we probably, some people might say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to show up on a Sunday because I can just stay home and watch it. Now, that happened, happen. <laughs> and a lot of churches don't want to do live feeds for their church for that very reason. You know, sort of looking at the, the, the risk of that happening, but we see also the benefit of someone maybe hearing who would not normally hear. So we want to do everything we can. And by God's grace, we have different means uh, to see the word go far and wide, including sending folks to New York City, for example, and supporting things like the Gideons to see the word go forward. But we want to go beyond that and see people go deeper and deeper in their faith. We look at this parable, though. Jesus first explains Uh, The three hearts that don't receive the gospel. The three hearts that don't receive the gospel. Look at verse 3 and on from there. He told them many things in parables saying, A sower went out to sow. A sower went out to sow. We're told later on the the seed is the word of God. It's the gospel. Uh, Notice the seed doesn't change. This is not the parable of the four seeds. One seed, one gospel, one message. It uh, doesn't matter what church, what denomination, what part of the world that you are in. The gospel is the same. doesn't matter who you're telling it to. Now, you might try to make it understandable if you're talking to kids. You're talking to somebody who's older in different cultures with different backgrounds and different contexts. But ultimately, the message stays the same. You want the, the seed to go forward. It's the heart that receives it differently. The, 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 the four soils refers to four different te- ways of receiving the word that goes forward. Who's the sower? Uh, Certainly God is the ultimate sower. He's the one who gives us his word. We want to be more specific. It's Jesus. Uh, He's the one right now proclaiming and preaching the word. But I think it really can't apply to any one of us who's sharing the good news. If you're talking to somebody else about Christ, if you're preaching uh, from a pulpit, if you're telling people the gospel, you're the sower. You're the one getting the word out there to different people. And he tells us about these three different bad receptions to the gospel Uh, ones who don't receive hearts that don't receive the gospel very well the first one is the path so when you throw seed on on packed down ground something that's had wagons ride over it many many times people walk on it horses trample on it the seed can't get in there at all and so what happens it just sits there on the top and the birds come and they eat it and take it away other seed goes on rocky soil, rocky ground. Uh, it starts to grow a little bit because it has some depth to it. It has some soil to it. But once you get a nice, hot, sunny day and the blazing sun of the Middle East comes rising, it's just going to burn up whatever begins to grow there. And then, of course, the third one is it starts to grow, but there are thorns. It hasn't, the field hasn't been cleared. The thorns fight for the nutrients and for the water and eventually choke up whatever grain was growing there think about this. Think about the brilliance of Jesus. This is exactly what happens, isn't it? <laughs> Let's talk through it for a second. He talks about the symbolism There is pretty clear. Uh, the birds, he says, refers to the evil one uh, that comes and takes away the word for those who have a hard heart. Now, maybe because it's birds, plural, it's the evil one and his demonic forces, spiritual forces of evil that are against us. But notice in that case, it only works if you have a hard heart, right? It starts with you. How did you respond to the word? You responded with a hard heart, unwilling to listen. And then you allow the evil one to just take away whatever came to you. Certainly then we see the symbolism of the sun. He says the sun refers to persecution, tribulation. Somebody believes in Jesus, but hard times come. Maybe get mocked a little bit for being a Christian. Maybe at your job, it's not the popular thing to be a Christian. Everyone else is talking about there are sort of newer beliefs and religions and it's not so easy. And you say, you know what? Forget this. (laughs) Forget this. I'm putting this behind me. And the thorns he says specifically refers to the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Again, think about how people hear the word. There are some people and We need to be expecting this, recognizing Jesus is preparing us for the reality that this is how the word goes forth, and this is how people's hearts will be. And it's certainly behind this a warning to watch your own heart. What kind of soil are you in this? There are certainly people who have no interest in the gospel, none whatsoever. Uh, you will talk to them, and they will say, I don't even want to hear it. Uh, maybe they'll have some sort of smokescreen reason. Ah, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. I don't want to hear it. Ah, I can't believe in a God that allows so much bad things to happen in the world. Don't, don't, don't want to hear it. Their hearts are completely closed to it. And I would say this about them um, that's their situation now. That's their situation now. That may not continue. So recognize that somebody rejecting Jesus right now, rejecting the word as it goes to them right now, doesn't mean that they're doomed for the rest of their life, right? I mean, that, this is their response to hearing the gospel at this point in time in life. There's nothing you can do. You have to let it go, but God may do something in time. And then certainly we are people who, who, who hear about Jesus and they say, I love this. This is great. And they're here at every church Sunday, every uh, every Sunday, they're here at every church event. Uh, They want to get involved in every uh, committee and on every board. And then it's short-lived. They burn out and then they end up leaving. We see that all the time, don't we? I think most powerfully is the thorns. And Jesus identifies the thorns specifically as the cares of this world. Somebody says, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to believe in him. As time goes on, what happens? You know what I really want, though? I really want that big single-family home. (laughs) And I really want to make sure I have a nice car. And I really want to make sure I retire well. And I really want to make sure my golf swing is good. And I really want to make sure my garden looks excellent. And that's what I really want out of life. And Christ only matters so much as he gives me what I want. The worries of this world become more important. Interesting, too, that he says the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, he could have just said riches. Uh, riches aren't necessarily bad, good or bad. Wealth can be good or bad, depending how we use it. But certainly it can act as a thorn that sucks away the nutrients from our faith. But he throws in there de- the deceit of riches. Again, brilliant. What's the lie that wealth tells? This is where happiness comes from. If you only had more money, then you'd be happy. If you only had that that thing that you want, that possession, that stuff that you need, that you think you need, then you'd be fully satisfied and happy, and you wouldn't struggle anymore. It's a lie. We know it's a lie. Even psychological uh, surveys and studies have shown wealthy people are no more happy than poor people. Wealthy people are no more happy than poor people, and yet we still run after the lie, thinking this is what's going to ultimately make me happy. It chokes our faith in Jesus. What is he doing, friends? He's preparing us for the reality that many will respond to the word in these ways. What do you do? You're patient. You continue on. You continue sharing the word widely. And again, it's certainly a warning to our own hearts. How are you receiving the word? Are you prepared for the fact that persecution and tribulation and hard times will come? Are you aware of the dangers that the cares of this world will pull us away from Christ? Are you still sort of taken by the deceitfulness of wealth? Jesus says, be careful how you listen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But then we turn to the good soil. (laughs) Which is really the point, the driving uh, force behind this parable. Look with me at verse 8 and 9. Other seed fell on good soil. So there is a type of heart that is ready to receive the word. I once heard it said that, This tells us that three-fourths of people will reject Jesus. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Because if you're a good farmer, you're not throwing your seed equally on the path and equally on the rocks and equally on the thorns and equally on the good soil. You're aiming for the good soil. This is your goal. This is what you're after. You want it to fall on soil, a heart that is ready to receive it. And what happens when it receives it? It begins to grow and grow. And then what does it do? It produces seed of its own. uh, And there are different yields. I think that's important. Uh, that begin to spread seed further and further as well. They become the sower, in a sense, who now spread the word themselves. Uh, I, I think, friends, some people said, "Well, what about, what about the seed among thorns, or maybe even the one on rocks? Are those still Christians? Are those people still in heaven? Are they still in glory?" Uh, the answer, of course, is it doesn't say specifically, but I wouldn't put any hope there. Uh, really, the whole thrust of this parable is to point us to the good soil. And He does say there are different types of yields that come. So there are some who bear a lot of fruit, a hundredfold, and there are some who bear, bear only a smaller amount. And nevertheless, they are the ones who have received the gospel well. And friends, that's our goal, is to see people receive this word. Now you might ask, what, what is the, the fruit? What is the yield? What does that refer to? I think it refers to a changed and transformed life. That's fruit. We see that throughout the Bible. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's a life now living in line with God and who he has created and made us to be. That's what we want. But certainly, I think there is a specific reference here to those who now share their faith. Uh, Because what is yield? It's seed. It's more seed that goes forward as the gospel works in your own life, now you want to share it. You want to see it go forward. You want to see it spread to others. That's part, certainly, of the yield. Friends, I think that the calling here is not passive, but active. Uh, it's not just, you either are the good soil, or you're not, and just be content with that. Uh, if that's the case, why would he say, be careful how you listen to this parable? And if that's the case, why even tell us the parable? There's nothing we can do about it, right? I think he's saying, look at your own heart. Hoe away the hard soil, the hard heart that rejects God. Clear out the rocks in your life so your roots can go deeper. So when those hard times come, your faith is strong and steadfast. Be aware of the thorns Avoid them so you can continue to grow without them stealing away your joy from, from Christ. Friends, this is what I hope for for our church. I, I pray and I hope that we can be a church that spreads the word. <laughs> there are people, no doubt, in our city who are good soil and just waiting. Just waiting for someone to tell them Uh, They're just waiting for someone to let them know about a God in heaven who loves them, who gave his son for them, who died on the cross for their sins and wants a relationship with them. If someone would just go tell them. (laughs) If someone would just go tell them. They're waiting. And friends, I think God has made it our responsibility as his people to get that seed out there. To spread it so that others could hear it. Here's God's plan to do that. Wouldn't it be great if God's plan to do that was to send a whole army of angels to Haverhill? They'll get to the streets and they'll begin preaching this word so that everyone who wants to hear it would hear it. I kind of wish that was God's plan. I don't want to doubt God's wisdom. (laughs) But that's not his plan. His plan is for you and me, as Christians, to share the good news. To be bold enough to know that when somebody rejects the gospel, that's okay. We wait, we pray, and we hang on. In fact, friends, it's not uncommon perhaps for someone to be all four of these soils at some point in their life, right? They start off like the path completely, completely closed to hearing about the gospel. They go into a point in life where maybe they start to lose faith because of persecution. Maybe they even get choked out by other cares, but eventually are at a place to receive the gospel. God entrusts his people, his church to share this word. And friends, we're called to share it wide and clear and broadly so that any who might hear could be saved. You may remember a few weeks back I graded our church and I gave us a C minus on outreach. <laughs> that was our lowest grade. Um, I love our church, and I think our church is just on the brink. It's waiting it's prepared, it's ready to see a harvest. But I think this is what's gonna to have to happen for that to happen. You and me need to feel this weight and this conviction. Not, not the staff at the church only. Not Pastor Rick and Pastor Mike. Not, we got some missionaries and we got a couple of really great evangelists like Rich Perron who will go to New York and share the gospel. I'll never do that but I'm glad he will. That's, that's not, That's not what's going to transform it. It's when you and me feel the weight of this, that there are people out there, your friends, the people that God has made you a missionary to, the ones he's put you in contact with, and he wants you to give him the word. May God help us. May God help us as we pursue faithfulness to him, and may we be able to celebrate a harvest together of people coming to know Christ. Do you pray with me? Gracious Father, thank you so much for your word. Again, I stand in awe, Lord Jesus, of your wisdom. And of really your prophetic word about how people will hear this gospel. Lord, every one of us probably can think of people we know who are one of these four types of soil. And certainly, Lord, we pray for each. We pray for those we know who are completely closed off. They don't want to hear it. They're offended if we even bring it up to them. We pray, Father, that you would begin to soften that ground. You'd begin to to hoe up that packed down soil. That in time, they might be willing to receive it. We pray for those, Lord, that we know, and maybe some in this room, who are on the rocky soil. Their faith only goes so deep. And they're in, in great danger, Lord, that when the sun rises and the scorching heat of difficult days ahead come, their roots aren't deep enough to hold them. And We would pray, Father, that you'd help them go deeper in their faith, that their faith in you would be solid, that they'd be able to say, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Without you, I have nothing else and nowhere to go. And Father, we pray for those who right now, perhaps, are being choked by the thorns. Their hearts are being drawn away from you. Their hearts are being drawn to the love of this world and to the lie of riches. Protect them. And may we as a church do whatever we can to remove those thorns, Lord. To get rid of those rocks and to see them go deeper in their faith. And Father, we pray for those, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers our family members whose hearts are right now the good soil, if someone would just go and tell them, (laughs) if someone would just let them know that there is a God out there who loves them and wants them by his side. Father, make us bold. Make us wise farmers. Make us clear as we talk about Jesus. And may we be able to celebrate a harvest of not just 30 or 60, but 100 times what was sown. Do this, Lord, we pray to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.